You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God. With your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to this edition of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbot, and I'm so excited to have you back at the table. I want to thank you for sharing, for rating, for subscribing to our podcast. It's because of you that we're continuing to grow week in and week out as a community. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know people that need to be listening to this podcast because together what we're doing at Sage Spirituality is we are looking back at church history. We're leaning into the biblical text and we're going deeper in our walk with God and so many people nowadays they're just reaching out to us and they're confessing sage spirituality is key it's a part of my growth spiritually some people that tell us they listen to it while they're working some people tell us they listen to it through their commute other people tell us they use it as part of their devotional process and we've even had churches tell us man we're sharing this with our entire church in the church bulletins because it's such a valuable tool. We're so thankful for your help. We're so thankful for your investment. And thank you for making Sage Spirituality visible. So let's jump right in this episode and let's continue our journey through the Gospels. And today we're picking up in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. And it's kind of an enigmatic conversation and interaction that Jesus had with an un, just an un, unbelievable circumstance and situation. It was almost his response was a little bit out of the way, and I just want to consider it, and I want to see what its application is to our life. So let's jump right in, Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30, and I'm going to read the text today. And the Bible says, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the master's scraps. And he said to her, For this saying, for your faith, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. Now, when we look at this, we have to understand something. First and foremost, this woman was a Gentile. She lived in Syrophoenicia, which means the area of Phoenicia, which faces Syria. It's kind of a northern part of Galilee, of Israel, and north, northwest. It kind of surrounds that northern part of the old Israel uh, borders, even the part of Galilee where Jesus kind of walked around with his disciples. And in number one, this lady was a Gentile, and Jews just did not have very much interaction with Gentiles. Number two, she was a female, which meant it was almost prohibited for her to come into proximity of Jesus. And uh, this is a very unusual interaction. And let's jump into it and see exactly what was taking place here. First and foremost, I love the idea that it says that he could not be hidden. You know, when we look at this, he went to a place and he tried to hide. There's a lot of Christians that try to hide their Christ-likeness. They try to hide the Jesus in their life. And you know what? The Jesus in us 
is no more hideable today than Jesus was in his day. You know, Jesus just exuded. He attracted. He was light. He attracted people to him. His goodness dispelled the darkness. Just like St. Francis of Assisi said, all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. And we have to realize that, guys, we cannot hide our faith. We do not need to try to hide our faith under a bushel, under a basket. We need to put it up on a table for everyone to see. No, we don't have to become arrogant. We do not have to fall into worthless discussions. We do not have to win debates. But friends, we are the light of the world, and we should not be afraid of being light. Samuel Logan Bringle, one of the famous leaders of the Salvation Army, He wrote these words. He said, There was nothing dark and hidden about Jesus. He was and is the light of the world, and he welcomed the light. Friends, we have to understand that we are the light of the world. We're not necessarily the the philosophy of the world. We're not necessarily the answer to all of the debates and the discussions, but we are the light of the world. We're the ones that attract people to us. We're attracting people to us out of the darkness. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but I have definitely had this experience living in the jungles. There have been times that I've seen a singular light, a candle, a lamp, an oil lamp in a hut in the middle of the jungle where there was no moon, there were no stars, there was no light out, there were no city lights, no electricity for miles and miles. And friends, when you would see that light, it would attract you. It made you want to move toward that light. And you know, that's what our lives do, and that's what Jesus intended for our lives to do. We have to understand that we can't hide the Jesus that's inside of us. The Jesus that's inside of us should burn so brightly that people look at us and say, there's something different about you. There's something about the way you live your life. There's something about the way you treat other people. There's something about the way you love that makes you different. Now, the second observation here is that the woman came in and she had a posture of humility straight out of the gate. She wasn't arrogant. She had broken all the rules. She was a Gentile. She was a female. But she came in humility. And the Bible says she fell at Jesus' feet. And she she came to Jesus in a level of, of humility that was really unforeseen among the Jews. We don't see this very often among the Jews. The Jews would not come into Jesus' presence humbled. It was the people that were outside of religion that came with this unbelievable level of humility. And we understand in the Bible that Jesus is the result. Jesus reflects God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, He reflects it in our life, and Jesus always responded humility. Listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 149, 4. He says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. There's something that, you know, if, if the light of our life attracts the sinners, there's something about humility that attracts God. There's something about humility that pulls us in to his presence. You know, humility is something that is so unbelievable. And we have to understand that real humility has unbelievable power. So many times 
we have this false understanding that if we're humble, somehow we're, be- we're going to become doormats for the entire world. But listen to what St. Augustine said. He said this, he said, Humility is the foundation of all the virtues. Therefore, in a soul where it does not exist, there can be no true virtue, but the mere appearance only. In like manner, it is the most proper disposition for all celestial gifts. And finally, it is so necessary to perfection that of all the ways to reach it, the first is humility, the second is humility, the third is humility. And if the question were repeated a hundred times, it would always give the same answer, humility. He's saying right there, if I want to become Christ-like, if I want to become the perfect Christian, if I want to get God's attention, the answer is, to that equation is always humility. Now, what do we do about false humility? <laughs> because if we're talking about humility, so many times we can confuse false humility. We can think, oh, well, you know, I'm a very humble person. And, you know, if you only knew how humble I am and, you know, believe it or not, so many times uh, I've come in contact with Christians that were so, they were just so fake. Uh, you couldn't hardly be around them. Uh, and John Flavel, the Puritan, puts it this way. He says, one of the ways that we understand that we're really, truly humble is they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. When we understand who God truly is, and we understand that we're really sinners, it makes us humble. When we're close to God, it makes us humble. We can't be close to God without having true humility. Now, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, he said something that was pretty profound. He said, I'm persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is indeed our master. If you want to know whether Jesus is the center of your life, if you want to know if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, all you have to do is ask yourself, am I loving other people? And am I humble? Am I humble? Now, one of the things that we have to understand is one of the reasons we lack humility is because we think we know what we need to do. We think we have all the answers. We There are even Christians that believe they know more than God. And I would have to encourage you with the words of D.L. Moody today that you would let God have your life because he can do more with it than you can. If you're the Christian that's listening to me right now, and you think, man, I know what I'm doing. I got everything in line. I know exactly how everything's going to play out. You need to humble yourself before God and let God truly have your life, because he can do more with it than you can. Now, the second observation here is the woman came to Jesus in humility, but she also came to Jesus in desperation This is one of the greatest examples of true prayer I think we could ever find. You know, Martin Luther said it this way. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. This woman came with unbelievable humility, and she came with desperation. And the result of that was true prayer. You know, we cannot live. Again, if you think you've got it all together, you reveal whether you are truly given up to God fully through your prayer life? Do you need God? Do you truly need Him so much that you crawl, you cry out to Him in desperation? 
Corey Tim Boone put it this way. She said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Now, if it's not big enough for you to pray about, if it's not big enough for you to put it into God's hands, it's not big enough to become a burden. You should allow yourself to go humbly to God and in desperation daily, daily. All of us have those straws that are breaking the camel's back. All of us have those added up problems, and we should do as the Apostle Peter said, we should cast all of our cares on us because he cares for us. Now, as a mother, this lady came into Jesus's presence, and any of you that have kids know how desperate we get sometimes as parents. We can feel completely overwhelmed so many times that our kids are being mistreated by this world or maybe turned upside down by the enemy. And Matthew Henry, the commentator, he made an observation about this text, probably the most profound observation about this entire text that I've ever found. He said, the greatest blessing we can ask of Christ for our children is that he would break the power of Satan. That is the power of sin in their souls, and particularly that he would cast forth the unclean spirit, that they may be temples of the Holy Ghost, and he may dwell in them. How are you praying for your kids right now? Can I just ask you that question? If you have children, maybe you don't have physical children. Maybe they're not blood, flesh and blood children. Maybe they're just spiritual children. Maybe they're kids that you've adopted. Maybe they're kids that you've brought into your life. Maybe they're kids that God's brought into your life that you're really concerned about. How are you praying for them? Maybe you're just praying, God, just bless them. Lord, just bless their little hearts. God, just keep them safe. Keep your angels around them. Don't let them have any pain. I like what Matthew Henry says here. He says, really, the greatest blessing we can ask for our kids is for Christ to break the power of Satan in their lives, to truly break the power of sin in their souls, and that all of the unclean spirits would be taken away from their lives so that they could truly become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you praying that prayer for your kids today, no matter how old or no matter how far away from God they might be? Are you praying that prayer today that the enemy, the enemy's power would be broken over their lives? That's something that I've taken to task as a father of four kids. Every day I'm going to pray for my kids I'm going to pray for God to guide them. I'm going to pray for God to direct them. I'm going to pray that God would keep them in perfect peace. But first and foremost, I'm going to pray that that Satan's power would be broken out of their lives. That the enemy's control over them would be broken. And that they would become temples of the Holy Spirit. Now look at how Jesus responded to the humility, the desperation, and the request of this mother. How did he respond? Did he say, oh, this is great. Look at this example. Did he point her out like he did the lady that bring that brought in the alabaster box and broke it? Did he say, oh, we're going to write books about her faith. Just look at her. No, he actually responded kind of with a backhanded remark. Look at how Jesus responded here. He said, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Very unusual response. How in the world would you react 
If you came into Jesus' presence, you were at his feet, you were crying out in desperation, and he looked at you and he said, you know, I'm not going to give you what God intended for his children. I'm not going to give it to the dogs like you. You know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. This is, a, this is a pretty weighty interaction between Jesus and this, uh, and this mother. I like, uh, I like what John Chrysostom said, the great church father. He said, when Jesus said this to her, he said, these words he uttered, not that there is in him a deficiency of virtue to prevent his ministering to all, but because his benefit, if ministered to both Jews and Gentiles who had no communication with each other, might be a cause of jealousy. In like manner, also to show the Jews that he did not confer healing on foreigners in the same degree as to them, and that by discovery of the woman's faith, the unfaithfulness of the Jews might be more laid bare. For the woman did not take it ill, but with much reverence assented to what the Lord had said. Wherefore it goes, and she answered him and said unto him, The Lord, but the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Her placing herself before, therefore, in the rank of dogs is a mark of her reverence, as if she said, I hold it as a favor to be even in the position of a dog and to eat not from another table, but from that of the master himself. Now, what is John Chrysostom saying here? This is just a little bit of a complex reality. But he's saying when Jesus responded this way, first and foremost, he was doing it for the reason to show that he had come as the Jewish Messiah. He had first and foremost come to fulfill the role that had been prophesied all the way through to the very beginning at the Garden of Eden and had been passed down through all the prophets and had been attested to and prophesied about through all of the Old Testament and that the Jews, whether they knew it or not, had been looking for. So first and foremost, he had come to the house of the Jews. Yet the second reason that he responded in this manner was to show this woman's faith that truly he had not come for those who were that that were Jew just in their name but in their faith in their belief he was coming to show them that it wasn't about your name or your last name or your race or where you were from or your gender it was about who you believed and trusted in he was revealing an unbelievable faith here and he responded to her and he showed this faith unbelievably. Her faith was revealed because how did she respond when he responded in this manner? She didn't react. She didn't say, what kind of masochist, what kind of, what kind of misogynistic, what kind of racist, what kind of this? She didn't call him any name. She continued to respond in humble faith. She continued to respond in humility. And remember, humility always gets God's attention. She responded in unbelievable humility. And listen, what we have to understand is pride must die in us. And if pride doesn't die in us, this lady had a reason to be proud because she was a Syrian. She was proud because she was a, 
she came from a Gentile nation. She was she had all these things she could be proud about. Maybe something inside of her that was saying, "No, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to stand up for your for your rights. You got to stand up for your womanhood. You've got to stand up for other women around the world." And I'm not downing those things. I'm saying, "Hey, you know what? If someone's being taken advantage of or mistreated, stand up, be their advocate, be their voice." But there's something about humility that this woman responded in humility. And and I was saying that from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray said it this way. He said, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. If I have pride, whether it's pride in my my, uh, identity as a Christian, my pride in my history, pride in my family, pride in in my race, pride in my nation, that over... That's greater than my humility, (laughs) greater than my humility. I need to check my pride. I need to set that pride aside, no matter what it is, no matter how it identifies itself. I set it to the side, and I realize that true humility, true humility is what gets God's attention. Listen to what Andrew Murray, he went on, he wrote this book. It's called Humility, The Journey Toward Holiness. It's a great book. You should read it if you haven't read it. He said this, he said, here's the path to the higher life, down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, humble, his glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. This woman was an example of true humility, desperate humility, where she was looking for the answer that only Jesus could give. Now, to conclude this, what was the summary? I'm going to go back to uh, Orthodox Church Father Theophilact of Akrid, uh, present-day Macedonia, northern Macedonia. And he said this. He said, The reason, therefore, why the Lord does not immediately hear but delays His grace is that He may also show that the faith of the woman was firm and that we may learn not at once to grow weary in prayer, but continue earnest till we obtain. Because therefore the woman answered with much wisdom, she obtained what she wanted. Wherefore there follows, and he said unto her, he said not, my virtue hath made thee whole, but he said, thy faith, thy faith has healed your daughter. Your faith has healed your daughter. There's an unbelievable power in humility. And we have to reach a place in our life where we understand that true faith is not obnoxious. True faith is not proud. True faith is not boasting. True faith is humility. It's coming to God in humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Like the Apostle Paul said, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you, he can raise you up. You know what? Sometimes our greatest struggles and our greatest battles are not against enemies. It's against the pride that the enemy has sown in our heart. We think that we're too proud. We're too proud to humble ourselves in desperation before God. We're too proud to cry out daily. We're too proud 
to share our most basic needs with God. We're too proud to ask God, not just to bless our kids with some great job or some house, but to remove the work of Satan out of our kids' lives. We're too proud. And you know, one thing that I've always taught my kids, humility is not something that's born into us. Humility is something that has to be cultivated. And we can either make the decision, like the Apostle Paul, I've already mentioned that, he said, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We can humble ourselves under God's hand. We can make that decision. We can humble ourselves. But if we're not willing to humble ourselves, then God will put us into circumstances and situations that will humble us and will cause us to reach a place of desperation where we cry out, not my will, but thy will be done. I pray today that you're encouraged. I pray today that you continue moving forward in your commitment to the Lord. But I pray that you find true humility, true faith, faith that keeps knocking, asking, seeking, and knocking, knowing that we have a good Father that will give us incredible and wonderful things. Thank you so much for being here with us in this episode. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Continue to plug and move forward. Continue to reach back in church history and lean into the text. And we're going to keep growing together here at Sage Spirituality. Thank you for tuning in to Sage Spirituality. We are so glad you pulled up a chair.